0: What is immutability? To be immutable is to always be the same, unalterable. God is unchanging and unchangeable. In James 1.17, it says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, He does not change. In fact, you can think of the word always. God is always faithful always sovereign always wise and always just and this means that we can always hope and depend upon God God's essence of who he is his very nature never changes now think about that most people get smarter and wiser over time but God doesn't because he is all-knowing and all-wise sometimes we become weaker or stronger but God is all-powerful always strong so God's nature is immutable, but also His purposes. Now think about that. How many of us purpose to do something, but then our plans changed? But in Proverbs 19:21, it says that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So that means that unexpected or chronic sickness can't alter God's purpose. His enemies cannot alter His plans. A crashing or thriving economy doesn't change God's good purposes. A terrible or terrific government cannot change God's purpose. So immutability is good news for those who look for hope in God. He is unchangeable, and that should change our hearts.
1: If you're newer to our fellowship, we are in the middle of a study in the book of Jonah. So you can turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Jonah. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 today. But just a reminder that the story of Jonah is a story about sin and grace. Actually, the relentless grace of God. Sin is running from God. It's rebelling. It's disobeying. It's living apart from God. It's missing out. Grace is God chasing after us, offering us life, hunting us down before we destroy ourselves and those around us. This is the gospel. This is the good news, is that we were separated from God because of our sin, and God so loved the world that he sent his son to die in our place to pay our debt so that we might be reconciled to the Almighty God. Let me review just a bit. God gave prophet Jonah a message. He was a good prophet. He was a prophet that walked with God. He was a prophet that heard from God. But this time... (laughs) He said, no, I'm just not going to go to Nineveh. I'm putting my foot down. Wow. He runs from God's face. He sins. He disobeys. And if most of us were God, which we're not, we'd probably push him aside. But God's grace is relentless, and he sends a storm for most of us the storm that wouldn't feel like grace but it was because this storm led both the sailors and to Jonah's salvation god then sends a fish and that doesn't sound like grace and especially if you get swallowed by it that doesn't sound like grace but ultimately it led Jonah to repentance Our gracious God is always, always, always at work. I think God's message in Jonah 3 will absolutely shock you today. I I believe that. I do. Ever since we've started this study, I have thought about this week when we get here. Because it's such a message of hope. Before we jump in, though, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God of compassion and mercy. You are slow to get angry, and you are filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your ways are perfect, and your actions are just. We thank you, God, that you are a God of compassion and mercy. We thank you that you are slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. We thank you that your ways are perfect and your actions are just. We ask you today, Father, we ask that you would speak to us, your kids. We need to hear from our Father, our good, good Father. Your Word is powerful. It transforms us as we obey these life-giving words. Your Word convicts us, so we pray for that. Your Word is truth. We pray that you would light our path. Many of us, Father, come distracted today. Our politics is foggy at best. Our doctors and our nurses and our scientists are scrambling. The virus continues and seems to be making headway. We ask for a cure, Father. We pray for our church, the worldwide church, all those meeting in buildings or basements. And we pray for our local churches we pray for this flock, those who are in the house with us today and those who are watching online. We pray, Father, that you would use the verses of Jonah to convict and to transform us. Father, for those running, and we got to believe there are some. We pray you'd bring them home. For those who are confused, Uh, they're wavering in their faith, we pray that you would strengthen them and clarify them. To those who are apathetic or comfortable, I pray, Father, you would shake them up. And to those walking with you, we pray, Father, you would strengthen them anew afresh. We don't want to be spectators, Father. We love you. And pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to go through the text today. We're going to go through all of chapter 3. And for some of you who are a little bit worried, it's only 10 verses. But you can follow along either on the screen or in your Bibles. And I'm going to ask my friend Heather to read the text for us.
2: Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened.
1: Let me read verses 1 and 2 one more time. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. Now, most of you know what happened in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. We know the last time that God gave this message to Jonah, he said no. (laughs) But things have changed, radically changed. And God gave Jonah a mulligan, a do-over. Now, again, I'm not that much of a golfer. But I love golfing with a foursome or three others when they say, Rick, take a mulligan. And they probably could say that every hole because it's a little discouraging how come theirs go that way and mine go that way, right? But isn't it feel good? When your ball can't even find the thing. Say, you know what, let's do a mulligan. And that's what God did. God gave Jonah a mulligan. And a few things stick out to me. First of all, Jonah repented, as we saw in chapter 2. And our gracious God gives Jonah a second chance. But let me say this. Repentance doesn't make God respond. Repentance opens the door for God to respond. And we're going to see this all the way through this chapter. So I don't know how long it took when Jonah was spit out on the beach that God came to him a second time. I don't know if God spoke exactly the same way. But Jonah got the message. Our gracious God gave Jonah the same assignment. The message nor the need hadn't changed. But Jonah was changed. You see, real repentance changes you. And if it doesn't, you probably didn't. Repent. If you tell God you're sorry, if you tell God, oh, I want to listen to you, but your life never changes, something is off. God uses flawed, repentive people to proclaim his message of grace. That alone should get you excited. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 verse 20 that he will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering whip, which just simply means that God's bent is toward grace. It's being sensitive to our failures. God uses broken, humble people who struggle well with life to proclaim the good news. People who depend on him, who cry out to him, who trust him. Now, Jonah was ready after three days in the belly. And honestly, wouldn't you be ready too? And I'm assuming that each one of us at times have spent three days in the belly. And after that experience, we're very open to God's directives and don't see them as his suggestions. Let's look at verse 3. This time, and I would circle that if you do that in your Bible, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. This time Jonah obeyed and went to this great city, he was willing to go 900 miles. Now remember, the first time he wasn't. He went the opposite direction. But even traveling, just putting that in perspective, 900 miles. It was a long trip. But more importantly, he was willing to share God's message. Why? Why was it different? Well, I think he feared God more than he feared the Assyrians. I think that was a major change. He didn't like the Assyrians. He thought they should be destroyed. He knew how evil they were. And he just couldn't understand why God wanted to send him with a message of grace to such a corrupt society. (laughs) But Jonah didn't understand God. He didn't. So we look at this and... And I think some things really changed. First of all, after he repented, I think he feared God more than the Assyrians. I think he understood God's mercy and grace better than he did before he entered the fish. Now, i got to be honest, chapter 4 has also influenced me. But if I hadn't read chapter 4 up to this time, I'm getting really excited how Jonah's responding. And so I'm going to let you know I'm going to give Jonah the benefit of the doubt here. So Jonah hears God. Jonah listens to God. This time Jonah goes to this great large city. And there is some debate on how large it is. Whether it's 120,000 children and then adults or whether it's just 120,000, we do know this. We do know it was a great evil city. So let's go and read chapter chapter 3 starting at verse 4. And I'm going to read through 8. On the day Jonah entered the city, it means he finally got there. He shouted to the crowds. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least. They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the King of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat in a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout all the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and your flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways. And stop all their violence. This is just crazy talk. How could this even happen? Jonah walked through this great city of Nineveh, wasn't even very tactful. He shouted, God's message. And the whole city. Repented. This is a key text and we're going to dig down deep just a little bit. Let me start off by saying this. I actually think the message 40 days from now Nineveh will be destroyed was Jonah's exact message to the Assyrians. But I don't think it was all that Jonah said. Perhaps it was his first sentence. And if that be the case, well, people started to listen. Now, I think there were more words spoken by Jonah. And and let me explain. I think it might have gone like this. Jonah walks into the town. The first things out of his lips was, hey, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now that he gathered some attention, people were now looking at this, well, peculiar man. And I think some things may have followed up. Something like this. Jonah might have said at that time, hey guys, hey ladies, hey kids, I, I just want you to know, sin is a big deal. Sin really is. And from what I can see, (laughs) you guys sin quite well. But then he files up this. God judges sin. And before they all kind of riled up, I I, I think he said this. I, I just want you to know I know what I'm talking about. I personally spent three days in a fish's belly because I rebelled against God. Look at me, I think he said. I am bleached from head to toe. Gastric juices in a fish's belly at about 105 degrees does this. It turns everything white. God's judgment came to me. But, but I want you to know, I repented to the God who made the sea and the land and actually the God who made big fishes who swallowed people. But I also want you to know, Ninevites, God has noticed your wickedness. And he will judge your rebellion like he judged mine. His judgment is going to come in 40 days. In the impregnable Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, which you think would never, ever, ever be defeated, it will be defeated because my God is big, my God is powerful. And he says it's going to happen. Maybe he even said something like this. And by the way, you guys know what it feels like to destroy cities. You're relentless and ruthless yourself when you go after enemies. Now, I'm not sure he would have said this part. But I sort of think he did. I think he would go on saying this. God is a merciful God who can save you in spite of your evil or your violence. You see, I know for sure because God heard my call from the belly of a fish and he was merciful to me and he spared my life. Perhaps if you repent, he will be merciful to you. You see, just as a side note, authentic gospel preaching addresses sin, addresses grace, and helps us focus on eternity. I think this is what Jonah was doing. I think often our passion personally reflects how we see God and how God has dealt with each one of us. Those who have been overwhelmed by grace recognize how sinful they were recognize that each day is a breath. Those that talk about how wonderful God is just naturally and normally understood that they've been rescued. And it's only by God's grace that they're not judged, consumed, or fried. Wow. That's why I think Jonah may have included this part. He he understood God better at this point in his life than he had ever understood. Now the king's response seemed to indicate he understood that repentance wasn't a guarantee. And I think, again, he got this from Jonah's message. But that repentance only opens the door to God's mercy. It's hard to imagine that Nineveh could have responded if all they heard was the one sentence. I think the one sentence caught their attention, and I think the reluctant prophet shared over shared his history with them very accurately. Another reason I believe this, and we can look in the New Testament, is that I believe that Jesus talked in a unique way about Jonah. You find a passage in Luke chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. And Jesus says this, that Jonah was a sign that God sent him. He was a billboard. He was undeniable when he walked into Nineveh that he was a messenger from God. So something had a shout, he was a messenger from God. I don't think it was his dress, and I don't think it was his accent. I think actually that's how he looked. And then in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus literally tells us what the sign was. the billboard was he said that jonah being in the belly of a fish for three days it showed jonah was from god and the ninevites heard the message from god's messenger and repented and then jesus follows up this exact same line he goes you know what you guys you don't even repent when you hear the message I am greater than Jonah, Jesus said. I have given you the words of life and you refuse to respond. I think the folks in Nineveh responded because it was a combination of passion and bleached skin that God used this failure in Jonah's life to proclaim the good news. Now, there's a great principle here, and I don't know if if you've caught it, but, but listen to this. God will use what he has done and is doing in your life as a means of reaching others and advancing the gospel, even our failures. We just need to be clean and obedient. See, what's hard for us to understand sometimes is that God sent Jonah because he had been working on the people in Nineveh. He knew the time was right for them to hear this message. The people believed and their actions showed of their repentance. See, repentance always starts in our mind but it transfers to our actions. It was remarkable that Nineveh's powerful king repented. Again, any, you can look at a mayor, you can look at a president, you can look at whatever. Some outsider comes and just proclaims this message. You have all power, all authority. And this king responds exactly like all the rest of the people that heard this message. It is remarkable that Nineveh's powerful king repented. The monarch responded in a spontaneous humility and repentance. Now if you even go back to chapter 1, it's interesting that both the captain of the ship and the king clearly saw God's authority and understood that without divine mercy, they would certainly perish. So the king says he sent out a degree. He certainly knew of their violence and of their evil. He was convinced, though, that Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, would judge. And he called for action. They did repent and they prayed out of well, maybe fear, perhaps. They heard. From Jonah, who was clearly a messenger from God. He stuck out enough. I got to believe, even that this culture had heard of some of the exploits of this Hebrew God before. They'd maybe never met a Hebrew or a God follower, but I'm sure that was probably part. And they also understood better than most what happens to a city that would be destroyed or overthrown. They also could have just been moved by Jonah's message of mercy. Okay, I can see you're a prophet. I can see you spent three days in a fish. I can see that you repented, you called out to God, and he saved your life. Oh. And perhaps God would be merciful to me too. You see, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, after Paul penned some really harsh words, he just says, you know, for the most part, it's God's mercy that leads us all to repentance, not fear. And then verse 9. This is an amazing verse. Verse 9. The king is still with this edict, the decree, and he says, who can tell? Perhaps, even yet God will change his mind. In other words, not destroy us. And hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. The king gets Repentance. The king just heard all this. He knew that the city was going to be destroyed, including himself. And he he says this, well, who could tell? I, I don't know about this God. But perhaps if we repent, maybe, maybe God will change his mind. You see, repentance is necessary for salvation. But let me remind you that it is not automatic for rescue or the good life or making sure you get healed of a sickness. You know, it's been a little hard during this COVID period. I have heard so many messages and so many... um, People encouraging us to claim the promise of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And it goes 13 and 14, but actually it goes all the way to verse 22. But oftentimes this passage is just flat out taken out of context. Let me read it for you and you can follow along on the screen. Now again, this is the words that God gave to Solomon after the temple was dedicated. And this is God talking to Solomon. He says this. At times, Solomon, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. And this is in the context, if your people sin and run from me. But then he says this. Then if my people, and in your Bibles you probably should underline my people. You Hebrews. Hebrews who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. Repent. I will hear from heaven and forgive your sins and restore your land. Their land. The Israel land. As I said, God spoke these words to Solomon after the temple was dedicated. God talked about his people. And let me just remind you, not the United States. This was a promise to Israel about their land. But somehow we think sometimes that if we check all the right boxes, we repent in the right way, that God will be like a genie and do whatever we want him to do. We know it's not true. No matter what prosperity gospel preachers say, if you listen, if you give enough, if you repent enough, (laughs) your life will be good. Your land will be free. And we just keep adding things on there. You know, I think the younger prodigal in Luke 15 helps us understand what repentance really looks like. He comes back after living with the pigs and eating with the pigs and and hoping if he could just be a servant of his father and he comes back and he shouts when he sees his dad, "I have sinned, I am no longer worthy to be called a son. I only deserve judgment, I ask for mercy." Now oh, the father absolutely graces this son. But the king got it. The king knew that if he repented and the folks repented, it didn't mean they would be saved from judgment. Perhaps, perhaps God would be merciful. Don't we pray like that when We here were diagnosed with cancer. Don't we pray and you could fill in the blank. Perhaps God is using storms to bring you to repentance. But repentance does not guarantee wonderful results. Repentance reconnects us with God. The king got it. Jonah talked about sin and grace very well. And he just says, who can tell? We're still going to do this. It's the right thing to do. But who can tell? Then we go into verse 10. And this is a tough verse. I'll just let you know. It's a great verse, but it's a hard verse. When God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Wow. God saw their response, which reflected their change of heart. The violence, the evil. And again, if you could just picture a modern city today with the crime and the corruption, and it stopped, they repented. And the scriptures tell us that God changed his mind and did not destroy Nineveh. If you're reading, and I grew up in the King James Version, the the King James Version would say this, that God repented. It's an unfortunate translation. It just is. Because in our minds, you repent from something that you've done wrong. But God changed his mind. We're going to talk about this just a little bit now, but in chapter 4, we're going to dig in a little deeper, but does God change his mind? Now, let me just share with you. If you've been in one of our Sunday school classes, that talks about the characteristics of God. You've dug in here deeper, but we believe here, your pastor believes that God is immutable his character is consistent. It's unchanging. But that God's immutability is to be understood in light of His consistent character and actions. Let me give you a text that you can go home and maybe ponder a little bit. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. And God basically says this. He says, I am grieved. I am sorry that I made Saul king. You see, when Saul was king, he was pretty sure he was going to be obedient. He was going to listen to God. He was going to lead his people with integrity. Well, that fell aside very quickly. Later on in that chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29... Samuel's talking, he says this God does not lie or change his mind. Now, it seems like God changed his mind about Saul. I mean, it, and, and then just a few verses later, in the same context, in the same places, God doesn't change his mind. Well, actually, there isn't an inconsistency here. You see, in our human perspective, it appears that God changes his mind. And what really happens is that a person's behavior has changed. You see, God is consistent. He is always consistent against sin. He loathes sin. He is offended by sin because of its consequences. Anytime we sin, we just kind of think it's uh, you were just going off the reservation for a little bit. The results of sin is always death. The results of sin always destroy a relationship with God and God's plans for each one of us. It grieves him. God punishes sin, and judgment will fall on a sinner unless there's repentance. Let me read in Jeremiah, and it's up on the screen for you. Jeremiah chapter 18, starting in verse 5 to 10. And this is from the prophet Jeremiah. And I know we just kind of jumped in here, but I think you'll you'll get the idea here. Then the Lord gave me a message. gave Jeremiah a message. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant... And build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me. I will not bless it as I said I would. There's so much going on here. But God's heart is to stay connected. God's heart is for us not to live in sin, not to be living apart from God. And when we sin, he will do everything. He will chase after us. He will encourage us to repent, to change our minds, to agree with God, to confess confess our sin so that we might be restored to God and live abundantly and look forward to eternal life. God is slow to act and bring judgment, according to Peter. He wants everybody to repent. He is hoping and he is praying. But are there times that God acts? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about this in chapter 4. And just how God responds in his heart and how our actions are able to realign us with God. Now, as I wrap up, I would just like to say a few bold statements. In all of history, in all of history, From the beginning of time, has this ever happened? As I said, this should be absolutely shocking. There's been revivals, and you can read about them. Not only in the scriptures, but in history. And there's been times churches, and there's been times neighborhoods, and there's been times cities. I'm not sure I've ever read that everybody in the neighborhood and everybody in the city and e- everyone, including the politicians, one repented? Revival by all, sackcloth worn by all. And you say, well, I'm a little skeptical. Hey, wait a minute. God was the one who said this. He's the one that saw the motives. And he said everyone. Now here it is. A whole, extremely corrupt city was changed by the preaching or the proclamation of God's word. Doesn't it give you a little bit of goosebumps right there? That this is unusual unusual and remarkable. But possible. That each one of us are responsible for taking advantage of God's divine opportunities, which he gives each one of us. To be able to share or proclaim God's truth. We know there are some highly resistant people. We do. Maybe some even in your own household. But it's God's word that changes. Remember, revival is God's gift. Evangelism is God's command. We don't know what happens once the word of God goes out. But again, we're told in Peter that we do it lovingly and gently and and graciously. It's the hope for our world, but for our state, for our city, for our neighborhood. Do you realize how relevant this text is for today? The proclamation of God's word was given by a most flawed herald and changed one corrupt city. I I think I qualify there. One flawed individual. How cool is this? One man who faithfully shared God's message. That's a privilege. We may not even see it. We may not understand it. We may think the person is too corrupt. We may think the city is too far gone. We may, and we make these judgments. God says, would you just let them know who I am? Share with them the hope you have in your life. Talk to them. Hey, by the way, judgment's going to come. And I just want you to know, I know it for a fact. And we talk and we chat, but cities change when they hear God's word. So the question is this What will the future hold for Chicagoland? For the United States? For our world? What about your school? What about your place of employment? What about, and what is the hope for them? Rick, they're too, Hmm, they're really evil. They're violent. I can't even stand it. You should hear the conversation. Yeah. They need Jesus. And we need to walk with Jesus, and we need to listen to Jesus' voice. And when Jesus gives us divine opportunities, we talk and watch what God does. Is God going to bring revival? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Let's pray. Father, I am so hopeful and yet so pessimistic God I know what your word does but God even I have been so resistant at times I feel I have failed you I've not represented you well and Lord you want a servant that listens to you that that fears you more than our neighbors. Lord, the gospel is is that sin is going to be judged, but you love us. You sent a payment. Sin will separate us forever, but, but God, you sent Jesus to die in our place. God, sometimes... It takes us three days in a belly of a fish to realize how gracious you are. Lord, we're flawed. We don't always have our act together. In fact, very seldom. But so many of us have a relationship with you. Maybe we need to repent first. Because there is sin in our life. But God, when we're clean, when we've been reunited with you, when we've been reconciled with you, we can be your man, your woman, your kid. God, would you change our church? Our neighborhoods, our country, and perhaps, perhaps, you'll restore the land. We love you, Father. We do. In Jesus' name, amen.